Welcome to the Codifier Podcast. Codifier is a podcast about breaking down emerging trends and technologies into bite-sized chunks for everyone, from software developers to sales gurus to even your grandparents, so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. No way. Way. I'm getting hacked. A Korski? No. I no, this is major. They've already burned through the NCIS public firewall. Shut up. Well, isolate the node and yeah, dump them on the other the side of the router. I'm trying. It's moving too fast. Maybe we need, we need more people tapping on the keyboard. Oh, this is not good. We're using our connection to the Infus database. Sever it. I can't. It's a point attack. He or she is only going after my machine. It's How not possible. possible. This is DOD level 9 encryption. It would yeah. take months to get built. Hey. What is that, video game? No, Tony, oh. we're getting hacked. Take it in Abby's computer. The entire NCIS network is next. I can't stop him. Do something, McGee. I've, I've never seen code like this. Come on, McGee. Oh. <gasps> what happened? Oh. Where'd it go, Abby? I didn't do anything. I oh. thought you did. No? <gasps> it was Mark Harmon. He unplugged the computer. <laughs> you can't hack a computer that's unplugged. And that is your first lesson for today's Codifier, episode 11. Today we're going to be discussing hacking and the hacking hacks that hackers hack. That scene we just heard was from a documentary piece called NCIS, starring Mark Harmon. It's been voted on several websites the number one stupidest representation of hacking. And if you go watch it on the blog for this podcast, you'll get to watch the video. Or just Google, two idiots and one keyboard. But what is hacking, really? Is it cast-aside teenage wonderkints who can seemingly dissect all things computer with a crack of a laptop to create designer chaos? They are portrayed smoking cigarettes. Cool. Rollerblading. And always have media-savvy branding. Oh, yeah. Anytime any major data breach is announced, the media conjures up their classic image of that hooded, Jedi-like figure in a dimly lit room with swirls of zeros and ones flying all over the place. Film and TV has done a superb job of portraying our favorite computer hacker as the stereotyped, quirky, yet heavily crafted indie kid who wields the required dexterity to power type at moment's notice anywhere on the planet and inject themselves straight into anything from corporate servers to traffic light control systems to dinosaur-based fun parks. It usually involves some superb visualizations of neon landscapes and swirling equations. James Bond took it to a new level in Skyfall not so long ago with an on-screen brain-like vector blob made mostly out of gibberish, except, of course, for one word on the screen using non-hexadecimal characters. Which, of course, Bond sees, not the smarty pants who are designed to look at it, and unlocks everything. And it turns into a 3D map. Yeah, that's pretty much what I would have done. One of my personal favorites in the film National Treasure, maybe it's National Treasure 2, both classics, with Nicolas Cage, where he holds up an ancient, ruiny thing as he intentionally speeds through a traffic camera. And then, of course, his quirky, hacky, hacky, hacker sidekick flips open his laptop, hacks into the speed camera while driving, and downloads the image. I think they're in Italy or something. I suppose I love the implication in most hacker films that all things computer-controlled are in some way connected to the internet, protected by perhaps nothing more than a password. For many of us midlife crisis-aged people, our introduction to hacking was the 1983 film War Games starring Ferris Bueller. 
where he uses his dial-up phone to dial into NORAD and starts playing a game called Global Thermonuclear War, which, it turns out, wasn't a game. So it almost kicks off. Yeah, that's right, a Global Thermonuclear War. What's interesting about that one is that it actually was probably closer to what is possible than the clip you just heard, and certainly many other films that followed. Too many films to mention, including The Net, the 1995 film actually called Hackers, starring Angelina Jolie. I highly recommend seeing that. And of course, the more recent film, Black Hat, where the main hacker, portrayed by sex throb actor Chris Thor Hemsworth, is in prison for being the greatest hacker ever. He's a typical cybersecurity guy, stunningly attractive, kung fu the bollocks out of a tight spot. And even though he's been out of the game for a few years, his techie techers are still razor sharp. Finally, a film with absolutely correct representation of hackers. Yeah, we're genius kung fu mastering technology gurus, damn right. Now finally, any hacking article or podcast wouldn't be complete without mentioning the Amazon series, Mr. Robot, as it actually does a pretty good job of using real terminology and representing some of the aspects of a real hack correctly but somewhat obscured with a dash of artistic license. There's even quite a good scene in a hotel where a few of the F Society, that's the ragtag group of hacking misfits, the members are poking fun at films depicting the aforementioned hacking imagery as they discuss how they at no point when hacking into anything have ever found themselves flying over a Tron-like maze. I had to chuckle at its own self-awareness. But what Mr. Robot does is create a rough depiction of the real and probably still most famous hacking organization, to use that term very loosely, Anonymous. Those are the folks that made the V for Vendetta Guy Fox Halloween mask a mainstay of hacking symbology. Of course, I have one, by the way. Duh. My life-size cardboard Chewbacca is currently wearing it. Nerd out. Drops the mic. There have been many hacking groups that have followed in the footsteps of Anonymous, but few have been as well-branded and achieved the same level of infamy. I mean, what is surprisingly truthful is that while Anonymous to the layperson is a leaderless tribe of computer genius hackers, the truth is they were more like a group of disgruntled teens and university role-playing gamers who came together via the 4chan forums and decided to essentially prank or troll large companies. For some involved with Anonymous at the beginning, they didn't even realize the extent of their actions or personal ramifications. They were largely famous for DDoSing, or distributed denial-of-service attacks, which in their early incarnation was as simple as overcrowding a website um, or even a phone system with traffic to disrupt a target business. I think a real hacker in today's world would look at what they did as rather primitive. So I hope I've indicated what hacking is not. I'm now going to talk in terms of, well, now-ish, 2018. To be clear, hacking was a lot easier 5, 10, well, yeah, 20 years ago. It was really easy by comparison. Security wasn't really given much thought back then. It really should have been, and we have learned. Most of the low-hanging fruit is gone, thankfully, but modern network architectures using cloud technologies in combination with New software design methodologies are becoming so interwoven and complex that the attack surface, that's the terminology, has become difficult to ascertain for those trying to stop baddies, making hacking 
both possible and becoming more of an art. At times, it can be what many of us consider a really boring, trial-and-error-based art. But for some, that boring art is a passion. Now, I'll go through a few examples of what hacking is these days, and I'll apologize in advance for any hackers who might be tuning in if I'm dumbing all this down too much. I won't mention more advanced subjects like men-in-the-middle attacks or get into any instructional content. On the flip side, I also won't get into the basics like poorly chosen passwords and pins or blatantly misconfigured cloud storage incidents or accidentally published credentials. That's not really hacking. That's just people being stupid. You can listen to the I Hate Passwords podcast if you want to hear some of that content. I'd like it to be technically correct but accessible enough that the in-laws can understand the idea and perhaps be a little less, or, you know, maybe a little bit more, spooked by it. Ooh, second I was going to have some real hacking stuff in it. Pretty cool. This is the intermission where I talk about other things, though. What I was saying last podcast was that I'm going to turn this into a season, and I've decided that the next podcast will be the last one for a short gap where I'll take a break in June, July, maybe come back in August with a flurry of exciting new podcasts. So, stay tuned, listen to the next one, listen to this one, and why not share some of the episodes that you've liked best with your friends on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, and I will see you in a few weeks. Thanks, I'm Steve Jaguar. This is Code of Fire, episode 11, Hacking. Okay, let's get into it. I'll start with the method I mentioned earlier when discussing anonymous, called DDoS, or denial of service. The extra D in the front means distributed, which is the method of using many simultaneous sources for the attack. To be fair, most denial-of-service attacks are distributed. It's far more effective. It's difficult to track, detect, and stop. The early problems with a denial-of-service attack, to use the anonymous example again, is that they weren't very anonymous. The attacks were tracked back to certain IP addresses, and real people were subsequently imprisoned. Ironic for anonymous. Fast forward to nowish, or 2016, for the purposes of this story. And we can talk about a recent DDoS attack using something called the Mirai botnet. A botnet is a combination of bot, or robot, automated programmatic bit of smart code or malware, which is distributed across a wide network of hosts or devices and can interact as a hive for a single purpose. The hosts generally don't know they are infected with this. The creation of a botnet is a clever bit of hacking in itself that often takes advantage of known vulnerabilities in open-source software being used by these smart devices that aren't patched or upgraded to the latest software. This, in combination with sillier open doors, like leaving default passwords in place, can lead to the takeover of internet-facing and previously non-threatening Internet of Things gadgetry, like smart toasters, thermostats, light bulbs, ovens, smart teddy bears, and repurposed for nastiness. Suppose it's worth saying how the denial of service works. Well, you know when you're in your browser and you go to a particular website and you create a bit of demand on the server that's feeding you that website. Imagine millions of tiny devices doing that at the same time. It pretty much 
blows that server up. So that's essentially what's happening. The Mirai botnet took advantage of a global network of IoT devices to create some of the largest denial-of-service attacks in history, including an attack on computer security journalist Brian Krebs. I feel that's kind of like a backhanded compliment. I mean, I'll know my podcast and blog are successful when I get smashed with a, a DDoS attack. I mean, oh, guys, thanks, a DDoS attack, you shouldn't have. What a compliment. In Q3 2017, here's a stat that I completely stole. Organizations faced an average of 237 DDoS attacks per month. And DDoS, uh, DDoS for higher services, yeah, you can buy those on the dark web, mean that criminals, hey, and you and me, can now attack and attempt to take down a company for less than $100. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about one of the most famous hacks of the decade called Heartbleed. This one is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> because it was a few of my colleagues at my workplace, Synopsis, who discovered it and revealed a critical software bug to the world, which was allowing bad guys to send a single packet of data to a website, a heartbeat, to check it was all good. But what they did was they manipulated that packet to extract a response which was effectively a dump of the server's memory. While unstructured, the bad guys pieced all those repeated attempts together to build customer data and launch a series of boiler room scams against that list they'd created. It's worth stating that hackers are mostly after three things. Disruption, money, and or information, which of course can lead to money. So when you're wondering if you'll be a target of hackers, ask yourself if you have any or all of the things above in large quantities. Anonymous, that I keep mentioning, they were founded on disruption. Nation-state-funded hacking groups, a, a more well-known one would be the Russian group called Fancy Bear. Yeah, they have really cool names like that. Are focused on information and political manipulation. Oh, okay, probably money, because they are being paid by the government. The rest are after money in a more obvious way. Remember, kids, information is money. Most of the modern cyber attacks on normal folks like you and I are conducted as ransomware or phishing. And to those attackers, what is known as PII, or Personally Identifiable Information, is the key to success. You know that stuff we give away for free on Facebook? We then give it away to people who are pretending to be researchers? That's the good stuff. And what attackers are after for social engineering attacks? I mean, check out my podcast on ransomware for a bit of extra detail on that. But the idea is straightforward enough. Knowing more about you means they can use it to convince you that they are either your bank, in the case of Heartbleed, your courier, your workplace, your family, and the list goes on and on to make you give up some money and allow them in the door to install malware to hold you hostage in some form or another. Ransomware, again like Mirai and Heartbleed, has multiple phases of work to achieve some monetary reward, and each step takes a considerable amount of effort, planning, and time. I hope this is coming across as quite different from what Hollywood offers us, but then they only have two hours to tell a story, so we'll let it slide, because it looked awesome when Charlize Theron and Fate of the Furious played a nutjob criminal codenamed Cypher, and with a wave of her hacker hand found all the known zero days in the area, it took over a whole city of cars, driving them around and creating cinematic chaos to my delight. Perhaps I'll define the phrase zero days. 
A zero day is a bug that hasn't been found yet. So that made it even more exciting when Charlize Theron said, find me all the zero days in the area. And they went, okay, and they found them. Wait a second. Anyway, it's not that you can't hack a car. Researchers and now rock star hacker guys, Dr. Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek, famously hacked a Jeep a few years back and released an in-depth report on just how they did it. How did they do it? Did they wave their hacker hands? Well, no. Maybe it took years of research and a thorough knowledge of the vehicle under attack. They were even interviewed about the film I just mentioned and succinctly dismissed it as nonsense. What I found amusing about the Jeep hack was the aftermath of it. Rumor has it that a patch for the 2014 Jeep Cherokee that was hacked was released via sending owners a USB stick to plug into their vehicles to prevent the unlikely abuse of the research and instantly negating all that research. The new method to hack a Jeep is now just to send the vehicle owner a USB stick called, quote, upgrade, and watch them mindlessly install your malware into the car. The final realm of hacking I'd like to end on is the more traditional web application hacking where you find a poorly written website which has all of the key components for the storage of a massive amount of personal data. I mean, Facebook was the example I mentioned earlier, but a more typical example would be the British telecom company TalkTalk. I mentioned TalkTalk in the Data Breach podcast. These types of hacks involve abusing typical paths like SQL injections, which is basically, well, you can go listen to the Data Breach podcast. I describe it there, manipulating, the, manipulating form data to try to extract information from the database, what that is. Other ones are path traversal and cross-site scripting to name some of the more higher profile methods. A cross-site scripting attack is where you are asked for data under your account that will be redisplayed under another person's account. So imagine an Airbnb review, for example, that you know someone else will read. If instead of writing a review, you wrote some JavaScript into the review box and the website didn't sanitize that data and strip that out, that script could be brought into another user's browser and executed to unlock anything from downloading ransomware to mining cryptocurrencies to conducting denial-of-service attacks from your browser. The key culprits for these kind of attacks are listed in something called the OWASP Top 10. OWASP sounds like a weird word, doesn't it? Stands for the Open Web Application Security Project, so it makes sense if you think about it. What that does is it tracks the top known vulnerabilities, and, and amazingly, in spite of there being a plethora of automated tools and techniques like penetration testing and static code analysis and fuzz testing, just to name a few, for mitigating these types of errors in web applications and modern IoT devices, I am still happily employed, helping companies write software that best prevents them from being the next big headline. Incredible. Actually, it's not so incredible. The real problem isn't the tools, but the lack of security expertise and educated developers who understand how to use them. So... If you're looking for a career for your teenage daughter or son, there will be an estimated 20 million jobs going unfulfilled. Unfulfilled or unfilled? Anyway, in software security and what is known as ethical hacking by the year 2020. If supply and demand rules have taught me anything, it might be in the interest of hackers to just go get a real job. 
This has been Codifier episode 11. I'm your host, Steve Jaguer. Thanks for listening. Why not check out our Twitter at Codifier and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Codifier. See you in a couple weeks.